one of the things that you should see, if you were to read the newspaper any time, uh, uh, in, in any event happening in Colorado Springs, one of the things that you're going to notice is that we are, at times can be a community at odds with one another. <laughs> Says the person who works for Downtown Partnership who catches a lot of flack for anything they do. And so they, everyone wants to voice their opinion. And so what we see in Colorado Springs is that we live in a community that at times is, uh, uh, that needs healing. That it's broken. That there's trouble all the time. You know, and one of the things that, that we here at Grace and Peace are about is we are bringing the healing of the gospel, the healing of Jesus Christ to come and bear in all our relationships, and not just in our relationships around us, but also in our relationships deep in our heart. We need healing. And I think if one of the things that we're going to be about here at this church, we need to care for others. And so we need to be available for people to be messy, for people to be broken for people to say they don't have it all together. And therefore, we don't have to be the people who scream at other people on uh, social media or on the Gazette opinion page, but we can actually say, you know what, I struggle with that too. I've got some junk, and I need Jesus badly. And so that's the kind of people that we want to be. We want to be people who, who need Jesus and that need a friend like Jesus who shows up, who's a helpful presence, and is also one who discloses himself, his goodness to, uh, to others. So, uh, grace and peace, if we're going to bring healing into the broken areas of Colorado Springs, we need to care for one another. And part of caring for one another is being okay that people are messed up just as much as you are messed up. That makes sense. So we're continuing in the book of Proverbs, and we're studying wisdom literature. And wisdom is not a to-do list, like follow this and you'll have a good life. Rather, wisdom, like I said, is skill in the art of godly living. And so wisdom literature is written so that it will form and shape your life so that you can be God's missionary agents into the world reflecting him. It is what a renewed heart will look like, and so it's proverbial. It is not a to-do list. If you make Proverbs or the wisdom literature into a to-do list, you will never accomplish it, and you'll be a big failure according to that to-do list. Instead, what we see wisdom literature doing is we see it forming and shaping people who've been renewed in the image of Jesus Christ, so that they could be his agents, his people, to reflect his goodness, his character into the world. And the topic we've got today is friendship. Friendship. Let's read some other verses about friendship. Our, ta- our main verse is Proverbs 17, 17, but here are some others. Here's Proverbs 27, verses 6, 10, and 17. Verse 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse, though, or the kisses of an enemy, meaning they're only speaking good of you so they can kind of get on your good side. So they kind of butter you up. Uh, verse 10, do not forsake your friend and your father's friend and do not go to your brother's house in the day of calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who's far away. Uh, and then the popular verse, Proverbs 27, verse 17, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Uh, And it's also just talking not just about men, but just people in general. Uh, 
Proverbs 18.24 says this, A man or a person of many companions may come to ruin, uh, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 16.28, though, talking about an insecure, dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. So we'll be going back to all these verses, but let's admit one thing. We all admire friendship. Why else do we end up watching things and showing up to places to see Toy Story 4, to see things like Stranger Things and binge watch it nonstop? It's because we like friendship. Why do we love and admire Harry Potter? What is the good things in there? It is friendship. What about the Goonies? We love the Goonies. I love the Goonies. What about friends? People love friends because they kind of went through the junk together, living in New York City, paying ridiculous amounts of rent. Sure, they were mixed up relationally. Yeah, that is a train wreck 90% of the time. Now I think about anyway, but we admire friendship. We also love The Office. You see, from a young age, your parents are always worried about your friends. Do you know that? From a young age, your parents are always calculating, who are they hanging out with? Why? Because parents know that your friends will have the greatest impact on your life. Why do parents want to know about your friends? It's because they actually love you. Okay? They want you to have good friends. And whoever we keep in fr- as friends will form us into who we will be. You see, we were made for community, right? We were made for community. We were made to be in relationship. And at the heart of the matter, we are made in the image of God. And in Christianity, we believe that God is, uh, we, we believe in one God, eternally existing in three persons, of the same substance, equal in power and glory, Right? You're like, that is a mouthful, Vince. What did you just say? So what this means is that we believe in one God that exists in relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit forever. So at the heart of God is relationship. It's community. It's friendship is found in God. And if we are made in the image of God, we are made for friendships. And friendships are important. And so here's where we start to see it. In the beginning, we see it in the garden where the Bible starts. God says, the first time it says it's not good, it's not good for the man to be alone. And it's primarily said in reference to his mission, where God, was, where God tells the man, go and guard and keep the garden, be fruitful and multiply. And so he had to do the, these little things. And for him to be alone, he couldn't accomplish that task. It's hard to be, be fruitful and multiply when it's just one little man. And so people who, are, who, who, who uh, live, live as a single person, like, it's hard to be fruitful and multiply if I'm just by myself, right? But here's the deal, okay? Marriage and reproduction wasn't the answer in which God gave. The answer in which God gave, so those are byproducts of what happened. What God gave for the sake of his mission was another person. And so what was there was a relationship, community for the sake of mission, for, forming, for, the, for the sake of the world. 
Okay, so this is the beginning. We see a companionship, a relationship with a distinct yet equal person. Then there was marriage. Marriage and friendship were both instituted to serve God's mission. But we're fearful of being alone, aren't we? Anyone fear being alone? Do you know one in three people in this, in this country describe themselves as lonely? You know, here's the deal. Uh, last week or a couple weeks ago, I was eating at a restaurant with my brother's family. So they're a family of five. We're a family of six. So there's 11 people at a pizza joint. And, you know, we're a little loud. I'm a loud person if you know me, a little boisterous. And here's the deal. We're sitting there, and I have uh, been fruitful and multiplied, and we have somehow, like, we've got kids out there as well. And so these kids that are also boisterous like me are here having, having dinner at a pizza pay, place, and they are eating more pizza than uh, is, is, should be possible to consume for any human being. And a person walks by, and, you know, he's kind of, he seems a little socially awkward. I think he was wearing, like, a video game shirt, I, and that's fine, you know. And so he comes by, and he says to us, my, you have a large family, and at first, I t- took this as a slight. I'm like, yeah, of course, but it's awesome, right? But then I noticed something that, that cut me to the heart. He sat down and proceeded to eat his dinner rapidly all by himself. You see, you know, having kids and having a big family, you know, being lonely isn't necessarily the, 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 the thing that I struggle with. In fact, sometimes I just want to be lonely for a little bit. You know, my wife, who's an introvert, really understands this, you know. But here's the deal. He's sitting there, and he's alone, and he's struggling. He's wondering, like, you know, where do I find friendships? How can I be known? And we all crave to be known. We want to be loved. We want to be noticed. We want to have our lives matter to somebody. It doesn't have to be anything great. It doesn't have to be anything great. We want someone to recognize when we're not in church, when we miss work, to know when our flight lands. We... We want, to know, uh, we want someone to acknowledge that our cooking doesn't suck, that we're good at something, and no one wants to die alone. We all crave relationships, and we fear being alone. It is as the pastor Tim Keller says, to be loved and not known is superficial, but to be known and not loved is the greatest fear. But to be fully known and fully loved is a lot like being loved by God. He knows you fully, and he loves you and accepts you. So one in three adult Americans feel lonely. Often, though, our world, even the church, confuses the desire for intimacy and being known for having, and having friends for being uh, uh, romantic only. And so they kind of say, you got to have a romance. You know, here's the deal. The, the thinking is always like, well, you've got to be fruitful and multiply, obviously. That's the command. Uh, but if you do it in the context of the church, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have kids. You don't have to run and get married immediately. And you are not a subpar human, in, or and there's nothing wrong with you. You're not diseased if you're a single person. 
No, you could be fruitful and multiply in the context of the church by giving your time, talent, and resources because you have good things to give for the sake of this world. You are meaningful, you are noticed, you are somebody, and you don't have to be married in order to live out God's mission for you and the mission of the church. And that's a good thing. You see, intimacy is what is desired and you can't conflate it with romance. Um, The young Michael Scott in The Office, though, uh, kind of talks about our loneliness uh, and, and, the way, and the feeling of it. As a little kid, they show this video of him in this uh, uh, satirical documentary. It's really funny if you haven't seen it. And he, they ask him, what do you want to do when you grow up? And he says, I want to be married and have a hundred kids so I can have a hundred friends and no one can say no to being my friend. We laugh But I think that's an exaggerated feeling that we all have. We want to have a friend, and we don't want to be rejected. And the Proverbs then go and include sayings about friendship to encourage the people to give themselves to friendship for the sake of his mission and to be good friends for the sake, sake of the world so that they would know his character, his goodness. So Proverbs 17, 17 says... A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. So here in this verse, this friend who loves at all times, it means in every circumstance. Whether your, your buddy is uh, poor, rich, doing well. It's a lot easier whenever your, your friend is doing really well financially. You know, you got that one wealthy friend. I want to go hang out with him because he's going to buy me lunch. That's, that's often the way it goes, but what happens when your friend isn't doing very well? What happens when your friend has just gone through a breakup or, or something terrible has happened and you have to listen to them complain? The Bible is saying, oh, a friend loves at all times, in every season, in every circumstance. And so this is then contrasted with this brother who is born for the necessity of the sake of times of adversity. And so it could be translated, it could have been translated, Uh, He is a brother born for adversity, but this doesn't really work with other contexts, especially with how we read in Proverbs uh, 18, where it talks about that, you know, a person of many companions, don't go, go to your friend's house, not to, not to your brother. He's kind of like the last resort. It's like added necessity. Go to someone who chooses to love you, who chooses you who chooses you. And so this ought to shape us to want to love friendship and be good friends. So a brother has this minimal obligation in contrast to a friend who is always there who chooses to love you. Um, And this is a a little quick note about homelessness. A lot of people will say, well, the problem is is we don't have affordable housing in Colorado Springs. No, no. It's not the reason. Um, and the other, the other thing is like, uh, well, maybe if we uh, could get them jobs. Mm, not the reason. How do they get homeless? They're like, uh, drugs. That's, that's the problem. That's another answer that we get often. They're like, mm, not, not that. And they're like, mental illness. Uh, that's part of it, but not the whole thing. The thing that happens with homelessness is a breakdown in relationships. They have nowhere to go because they've had broken down relationships, even with their family. 
And so the thing about Christianity, the thing about the gospel is that it restores these bonds and these relationships. And so the problem is not lack of housing or mental health, but a breakdown in relationship. The problem and the solution then is hopefully the gospel ultimately. Restored in relationship to God and restoration in a relationship with all our neighbors. So the gist of Proverbs is this. Wise people have good friends, and good friends are wise people. A good friend will desire your best, and their words will cut like a surgeon's scalpel. A friend will have your back for the sake of God's mission. And so we're going to look at the basis of friendship, the benefits of friendship. Don't take that the wrong way, people. The barriers of friendship and the bonds of friendship. The basis, the benefits, the barriers, and the bonds. A four-point sermon. Someone's going to think I've become a Puritan. So, the basis. Uh, God is it's God himself. As we talked about, that God is, lives in community, eternally existent in community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God himself in Genesis 18, though, says that he is a help. He was going to help with Abraham and Sarah so that they would have children. And then he disclosed his plans for Sodom and Gomorrah. And he says, am I to withhold from Abram what I am about to do, which was rain down judgment. And then there was this strange interchange. God treats him as a friend because Abraham, instead of just saying, rain down fire, do whatever you want, you know, and just like, you're Lord. Abraham does something strange. Abraham actually comes up to him and approaches him, and the word is typically translated for prayer, but he approaches God, and he says, oh God, Lord, you're, you are just, and you are kind. If you were to find maybe like a hundred righteous people, would you relent? And the Lord said, if I found a hundred. And then he goes down like, what if you found 50? What if 50? You are good and kind. If you found 50 righteous people, would you relent? And the Lord said, I would relent for 50. They got down to 10. And the thought was, was like, what if there was just even one person? Would he relent then? And so we see two things about this basis. We see self-disclosure and a helpful presence. He was going to help Sarah have a child, and then he discloses his plans. So we see this also with Moses. So God helps Moses lead Israel. God disclosed his person to him. We see this pattern in which God himself is one, a helpful presence, and he self-discloses. He is authentic, shows him the real stuff. So much so that Jesus, who is God in the flesh in John 15, says, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends, help, and you are my friends if you do what I command. I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you self-disclosure. And then often he'll ask for things like prayer. He'll ask for things like water. He'll say that he thirsts. So we see in Jesus this person who is needy as well. He needs help. Friends self-disclose their, their needs. We see this pattern in Jesus. So what sort of thing is friendship? 
And the, the sort of thing of friendship is it's a type of love. And so, you know, we talk about C.S. Lewis, this uh, author, he breaks it down. So agape is this God love. It's committed, sacrificial God love. And then we see this friendship love, which is philo, which is voluntary. It's voluntary. It chooses. And then we have eros, which is romantic love. You know, but married people can be lonely too. And having kids won't fix your loneliness. See, not all friendships can or should have romance. Okay? Not all friendships can or should have romance. And I know this is hard to hear because I'm from a generation that wants to marry their best friend. You know? And so, in, in the thing, but every romance, if it is to endure, needs friendship. It needs that voluntary self-giving for the sake of the other. You know, so there is something to marrying my best friend. It isn't a bad thing. You know, many people today, they, they, they uh, here's the thing. If you marry someone who's your best friend, though, you can end up ruining them. Because if you make that best friend into your everything, you will crush them. You will crush them. It can't be everything for you. Imagine having to live up to the title of best friend, ultimate friend. They're just performing the entire time. Do you know how exhausting that is? And so we see this. We look at Jesus, who was both wise and wisdom personified. And Jesus, though, when we talk about the basis, he gives us the power and the pattern the power in the pattern. And what is the power in the pattern? We see this authenticity, the self-disclosure. We saw it with Abraham and with Moses, but then we see this helpful presence. And that is Jesus choosing you and giving his whole life for you. That is the power in the presence. And what do I mean by the power? I mean this. When you find your identity in the fact that the God of the universe tore open heaven and earth to come and get you, when that's your basis for living, when that's your validity in life, if that is your standing in the world, then you could face a lot of things, can't you? When you believe that the God of the universe has made you his friend and has put his friendship on you, that allows you to face sometimes the loneliness, the difficulty. But imagine if you had an entire community of people that that's true of them. We have common ground to stand on. We could be together in this. You can actually have real true community. That's the power and the pattern of it. And we find it in Jesus. And when we have that love, it truly frees you. But let's look at the benefits. The benefits. So Proverbs 27, 17 says, Iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. And then Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 says this, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. If they fall, one will lift, his, lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. 
And so, what are the benefits of, of friendships? One is companionship. Two is mutual help. Three is encouragement. And four is defense and healing, according to these verses. So with companionship, you have collaboration. You can actually work together. Two are better than one, for they get a better return for their work, is one way you can translate it. Companionship. You don't have to do this alone. And you know what that means? That means whenever you fail, you mess up, or you're struggling, you actually have someone to tell. Like, hey, I actually need help here. It's important to confess that you need help. Then that leads us to the mutual help. Uh, Whenever I thought about mutual help, I thought about the 1993 song by the Spice Girls, Wannabe. You know, you know the verse, it's like, you want to be my lover, you got to get with my friends. I don't know exactly, that sounds weird now, but, but here's the deal. It means, basically, you've got to go through my friends. Why? Because those friends are going to be able to identify things, because I'm sitting there love blind, and I don't know, but you've got to go through my friends, because they're going to show me things. And so, here's the thing, in the dating world, in any world, you need friends to get through it. And I don't know why the Spice Girls jumped in my head. It was a long road trip and maybe it was on the radio. But that was the deal. So a mutual help. But they're also there for encouragement. They're there to pick you up. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has no one to lift him up. You need friends to get your back, don't you? Because this world, this life, is, could be crippling at times. It's going to be hard. We're going to lose loved ones. Things are going to be said about us that we hate. And we need people to tell us the truth. We also need friends for defense and healing. Friends cushion the difficult blows of life. They are there for you. Uh, I happened to watch the movie Toy Story 4 during my vacation It's wonderful if you haven't seen it. So spoiler alert, here comes. There was this little girl who went to school and she created a toy named Forky. It was out of a spork. And she did it with a spork and some clay and little, little, uh, those wooden ice cream scoops. If you're a little kid and you grew up in the like 80s and 90s, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And made them into feet, and she loved little Forky. But little Forky, whenever he came alive, wanted to throw himself in the trash because his confession is, I'm trash, you know? And, and, it, and he, he loved being in the trash and, and kind of like wanted to wrap himself up in it. But Woody, the wise older doll, the friend, You know, and it's not like child's play when these dolls come alive. Trust me, I know it it sounds scary, dolls coming alive. But anyway, Woody, he's this doll, and he keeps reminding Forky that he's not trash. Forky kept wanting to throw himself into the garbage bin because it was garbage. And garbage was kind of where he belonged, he thought. And But Woody, what he always did was he brought him back and he reminded them of this. You're a toy. And somebody loves you. You see, a good friend, a good Christian friend, is going to remind you because often we're going to feel like garbage, right? 
We're going to feel like trash and we're going to tell ourselves that. And a good friend is going to hear this. And a good friend is going to tell you, you could open your ears, spoiler alert's over. Uh, a good friend, a good friend is going to tell you, you are not trash. You are not garbage. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are love. The God of the universe takes notice of you. And he died for you. And so we see from this story, we see companionship, mutual help, encouragement, and defense. But let's admit, there's barriers to being a good friend, right? There's barriers. And a lot of it starts off with this dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer, a gossiper, separates close friends. And at the heart of a, dis, of a dishonest man, of a whisperer, is this insecurity. So what's a barrier? Insecurity about our standing in the world. Who I am. Am I secure in that? And the Christian understanding is if you're secure in Jesus Christ, then then you don't have to be a whisperer. You don't have to be a gossiper because your standing is completely secure. So we we can keep things to ourselves. We don't have to have this little sneaky ideas, uh, little sneaky information behind people's backs. Uh, One of the things that we also do, a barrier to good friendships nowadays, is that we confuse intimacy of the self-disclosure, presence, you know, enjoying one another's company with romance. We live in a sex-crazed world, and every time we think about intimacy, we only think of romance. Do they have to be the same thing? No. Do you want to know how I know that, that there is uh, this problem here? It's because when I was going through high school and college, I would give my guy friends that we were close to three pats on the back. Do you know what it stood for? I'm not gay. That's, that's what it meant. Okay? That's what it meant. Because you couldn't possibly imagine a deep friendship in without having some sort of romance. And do you know what that's called? A lack of imagination. It's a lack of imagination. Can you imagine actually having deep friendships, deep relationships with people that aren't sexual? It's amazing. It's great. And so one of the barriers is that we have this confusion of intimacy and romance. The next thing is, is we have social media. And the way we conduct ourselves on social media, is a, and it becomes a barrier, the way we conduct ourselves on social media becomes the way we conduct ourselves in life. So we always put our best self forward. We always have the sweetest Instagram posts possible. And then we can't possibly live an authentic life right here. Why? Because we're always trying to have the best Instagrammable uh, life that is seen out there. And then we live it in our person. And so we start to shear off and have difficulties with relationships. And the preponderance of, of, the, of, of social media can also keep us from engaging deeply with the person in front of us. Then the next thing is we have self-reliance and self-affirmation. We only want people to praise us, to tell us we're good... Uh, We want to get rid of poisonous people, so no criticism, no critique is allowed. But what, here's the question, but what if God wants to work in you through other people? Ever think about that? 
that it is through community that God actually works in you. And so you can't be like the person in the Eagles song, Desperado. Desperado, why don't you come to your senses? You've been out riding fences for so long now. Oh, you've come along, you've come, you're a hard one, but I know that you got your reasons. These things that, aren't pleasing, that are pleasing you can hurt you somehow. Desperado, oh, you ain't getting no younger. Your pain and your hunger, they're driving you home. And freedom, oh freedom, well, that's just some people talking. Your prison is walking through this world all alone. This self-reliance that I've got it right, that I only need me. It's a barrier to you becoming the true person God wants you to be in Jesus Christ. So C.S. Lewis quotes it this way, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything in your heart will be wrong and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, your heart, You must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your own selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it'll change. It'll not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. To love is to be vulnerable. And to be a good friend, you need to be vulnerable. So how do I start good friendships? How do I sustain them? One is mutual experience. Especially if you're a guy, you need to have some sort of mutual adventure or experience together. Uh, I don't know. Ride a bike up a mountain. Okay? Uh, Do something. Go on a weird, crazy, epic hike with somebody. You're going to experience something together. Uh, One of the things my friends would do when I was young was pull practical jokes on people together. You have a common mission. You have a shared experience. You also damaged cars together. That is not good. Don't do that. But there's that shared experience. So you need to have this together. And so you got to go out and do stuff. you got to serve together in a city group. If you're not in part of a city group, get involved in one because you'll learn how to have shared experiences together. Another way, and women are a lot better at this, is the shared trauma or emotions with one another. Shared trauma or emotions. It's important to being a good friend. you got to be vulnerable. you got to be vulnerable. you got to crack open the chest and let people see your heart. The next thing is social media can actually be good. Keep you up to date on how people are doing. I always like to see when people's birthdays are happening, and then I try my best to text them, see how they're doing, and try to enter into people's lives. Social media is good for that, keeping you connected with people. You need to be authentic, confess your need and weakness, and you need to give helpful words back. And sometimes... You got to be like a surgeon. You got to cut the junk out of your friend's life. It means you need to identify it. It's going to be painful for your friend. And you're going to be scared as heck to do it. But if you're going to be a good friend, really have their back. Really tell them the hard stuff. Uh, let me give a word for introverts here. Because if an uh, introvert is, is listening, they're probably saying, oh my gosh, he wants me to have a thousand friends and I'm about to have a panic attack right now. No, 
No, let's not do that. Uh, God has made you powerfully as an introvert the way you are. And one thing that I know about introverts is that they can have deeper, more wonderful friendships with two or three people than I can with my 50 homies. And so invest in those. Invest in those people you really like. God has them in your life for a reason, and it doesn't have to be 50 or 60 or 100 new people. It could be two or three. Start with one. Get a good friend. Okay, so my introverts, I hear you. I love you. But lastly, we need to talk about the bonds, the bonds of friendship. A friend loves at all times. And so a friend who loves at all times loves even in the midst of adversity. It is through this kind of shared purpose and presence in the person's life, the shared experience and this voluntary choosing that we see the bonds kind of put together. And so these bonds come out and and they're shaped in certain ways. So one of them is constancy. Uh, Derek Kidner has these uh, detailed. Constancy. Bonds are formed through constancy. In uh, Proverbs 18.24 says, There's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. There's candor. It says, Faithful are wounds of a friend. When a friend has called out something in your life, you are bonded to them. Especially if you believe and trust that they have your good. Then there's counsel. Counsel. In uh, Proverbs 27, verse 9. The bond of friendship, though, is voluntary. It's chosen. It's honest and will create discomfort or, dis- or constructive misery on someone. It's for their sake. But it's always filled with grace and truth. Here's the deal. Grace without truth is not Grace. Grace without truth is not grace. It's just soothsaying. Truth without grace isn't truth. It's just scolding. But grace and truth together is applying the healing balm of Jesus to the wounds of life, the fall, and our sin. C.S. Lewis says this about the choosing of a friend and how it brings out the different perspectives. He talks about it bringing out different perspectives. Friends will help shape you into the person that you need to be. He writes that his group of friends, one of them died early, and that they lost part of themselves in the process, that they no longer saw what only one other person could bring out in that person. So something was lost. So when you lose friends, you lose something of yourself. And with good friends, something of yourself comes out, something new, your goofiness your weirdness, your laugh. You need friends. And he writes this, In friendship, we think we have chosen our peers. In reality, a few years difference in the dates of our births, a few more miles between certain houses, the choice of one university instead of another, the accident of a topic being raised or not raised at a first meeting. Any of these chances might have kept us apart. But for a Christian, there are, strictly speaking, no chances. Oh no, a secret master of ceremonies has been at work. Christ, who said to his disciples, I have not cho- you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, can truly say to every group of Christian friends, we, ye have not chosen one another, but I have chosen you for one another. So God chooses this motley crew of people here in this room to be friends with one another, to bring out the best in each other. 
for his sake and his mission. And he chooses you. Do you get that? The God of the universe shows that he wants to be your friend in choosing you voluntarily. It is not because you are wise or smart or good looking. He loves you and has set his love on you to be your friend because he loves you. He chose you because he chose you. How does this relate to Jesus as being a friend? You know, when we see Jesus as a friend, it'll transform our heart. The story of William Lee, he was a slave, a slave that belonged to George Washington. George Washington was part of English royalty, actually. He owned a huge estate called Mount Vernon. William Lee was his valet, so he dressed him. And not only that, William Lee, when it came to the Revolutionary War, would go into battle with him. And they would forge bonds together. And William Lee would ride side by side with him on a horse, dodging bullets together. And at times, jumping in whenever the Union for, or the, the, uh, the revolutionary forces who came together, some of them free, some of them slave, trying to fight together, they would have to jump in. One white free man and one black slave working together, pulling people apart who were fighting. We were supposed to be fighting the British. But they formed bonds together. William Lee, during the war, though, would injure his knees. But George Washington wouldn't have him leave. He wasn't useless to George Washington because they were friends. So George Washington wouldn't free him yet, but allowed him to be the shoemaker for Mount Vernon so that he could sit and work still and contribute. William Lee, though, was always his confidant. He would tell William Lee lots of things. And when George Washington died, he freed one person immediately. Everyone else had to stay on until Martha Washington died. William Lee was set free because of his friendship with George Washington and the bonds that they made. George Washington, upon his death, would write that his only regret was that he didn't free his slaves sooner. You see, what we learn about friendship and God's friendship with us is that Jesus committed himself and he dies for his friends. He's the ultimate friend who gives his helpful presence and he discloses everything to you by giving every ounce of his person So that you can be truly you. He brings that out in you. And it's not because we've got some great gifts to give. We have great gifts, yes. But it's because he chose you. And because he loves you. And if that is what you embrace, then we come to this meal freely. Because he was the one who was broken for us.